please be advised that this podcast may contain strong language and themes of an adult's nature. I held you in my arms, bore the weight of you down to my core. Nothing else mattered but keeping you. See, people like me just dream about you. You weren't supposed to be. And yet, there you were. Mine. You'll burn out clocking in all those hours, mate. Find a man. Settle down. You aren't supposed to love your job. That's what they say. But you are everything. Everything I could have ever hoped for. Until you turned on me. My mother told me that she will buy me a rubber dolly if I was good, good. And now for the Unsullied with Orica Goddess. Get in there. Rough Rider, do it to you. No, that's not how it goes. X gonna give it to you. X gonna give it to you. No, he no. gonna give it to you. <laughs> Rough Rider. I got used to be my favorite rapper, though. By the way, this is like the first time I've been in a booth. I'm already a booth. And they're recording setups since I quit the music industry. What did I say? Yeah, so does that mean that you're now going to essentially give us a little bit of a something-something? I'm saying this is the first time you've been in a booth since... No, no, you, no. You literally not, dropped not right the mic now. and no, said... No, no, This rap I'm, game I'm still working on isn't the, ready for me. I'm still working on the return EP, you know. Diapers, daycare, rent for food. The album. <laughs> I think you mentioned that to me once, actually. Yes, yes. I've been working on it for a bit. But no, it was diapers and daycare, I think, the time you diapers, told me. Diapers, daycare. 2D2R. I know. 2D2R something. Diapers, daycare, rent for food. 2DR2F. Yes. That's what I was calling it. Then. Do you think you will drop one? Like, for real? Yes. Yes, I'm going to drop one for my... Do you actually have songs that you've yes, written? Yes, I've written a couple. Yes. Will, will we I ever hear it? Release them? Or is this going to be something know. that only your kids hear it's when they're like under, 18 and exactly. be like, this is the reason. It's an under the bed project. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to record them. Mainly because I'm working on a couple of musicals that have nothing to do with me. Remember you mentioning that you wanted yeah. to do a musical. Yeah. This is a while ago. Yeah. I literally just came from, oh, literally really? just came from a recce for a location. For so, one year? So I'm going to do a, mu- a couple of musicals. So while, you know, I'm going to have this, that studio time and producers and composers and might as well just record some stuff for myself and hide that one. Speaking of which, I saw Dirty Dancing like once when I was a child. It mm-hmm. deeply confused me. I haven't seen it as an adult. Would you want to watch it again? I don't know. Like my to watch list is so stacked. Like I don't, I want to see it. It's just. I know that I've seen it. I just don't find it. It's not, I don't remember it. I don't think it was memorable enough for me to like, it wasn't like Sound of Music where you watch it once and you just know, even if you never see it again, you're going to remember it. And then well, you end up watching like 70,000 times every Christmas. I don't know. Sound of Music horrified me as a child. So oh, I, I wow. don't know. Okay. Like people say, you know, I say, what's your childhood, you know, childhood film. People say things like uh, Sound of Music, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh no, Willy Wonka I did not and the like Chocolate Willy Factory. Wonka. It's a horror film. I don't know what people are talking. It's a horror film. Yeah, Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Climb every mountain. Like they were trekking up. A, they were going to <laughs> die in those mountains. Anyway, I'm just saying. Like, where were they trekking to? But, yeah, running away from Nazi Germany. Like, well, no, it wasn't me, even Germany. Right? For me, it ended at I am 16, going on 17. That, yeah, that, that's the end of the film. Although that song made me sad. 
It wasn't the like whole I mean, thing it makes was me raining, sad. The whole thing makes me sad. And she's in love with someone, and then the guy turns out to, to be the one who now goes and tells the Ogaza. By the way, Precisely. these people are like, I'm just like, what? Don't trust niggas. Then Mary Poppins. They told you earlier oh, on. Mary Poppins used to freak me out, man. Yeah. This woman just man. drops out from the sky and. Hi, I'm your new mom now. <laughs> <laughs> so that this, that part of things I didn't really pay attention to enough. What I paid attention to was the other side, which is like Disney's. They would churn out things like Aladdin and those yeah, kind of shows. Those ones, I actually draw, joined a group on Facebook when Facebook first started, so decades ago, clearly, um, called Disney gave I'm me bald. unrealistic expectations about love. And oh, that, that was Mills so and Boone. That was Mills and Boone for me. No, 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 no. No, but Disney had an explanation. I mean, Mills and Boone was just about no, okay. He was sitting on a horse, and then the horse came <laughs> on the okay. No, no, no but here's crazy. The thing. I was about to say <laughs> grammar, but um, here's the thing. With Disney, they give themselves a caveat. Mm. They were kids. It's Romeo and Juliet. They were kids. They were too dumb to know any different. So I mean, yeah, but then you're growing your children up to believe that there is a yeah, but, prince yeah, that will save you, Even those princes, and you meet him and. You know, and they're, they're, and then they also, you know what annoys me the most? It's not even so much the prince as much as there's a clear good and there's a clear bad. Yeah. So when you meet someone and they're horrible, mm. they will also look horrible. And so, ergo, yeah. they're evil and they're witches. Yeah. Well, in, I guess, not literal terms. And you just, and then you grow up and you realize that you can't tell bad people from good people. And because nobody is just bad. And no one is just good either. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Because that's of one of the things story, I would like us to discuss moral later. Moral of this story don't they don't let Disney raise your kids. Raise your kids I was yourself. By kids, by kidneys. Kidneys. You are raised by kidneys. I have not been drinking yet, but I will be. All right, let's get started. I have not recorded a session in a while. I am quite nervous. What is a while? Um, am I an experiment? No, you're not an experiment. Okay. But it has been a while for a lot of reasons we won't get into right now, and it just felt so special and that you would be my first guest this new season, new, ver- new version, although it's still the same version, the format hasn't really changed, of The Unsullied. Um, with me in the studio today is somebody who, without him, I would not have an acting career. And I hear you laugh because you're probably thinking, but you don't have an acting career. Well, screw you. You don't know my life. (laughs) Without him, literally, I would never have appeared on TV. I would never have had the confidence to even think about, you know, doing writing workshops and trying to just be a better creative in general. And um, I'm very, 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 very extremely honored to have him be my first guest for this show. He's an amazing, amazing artist. His mind is just as insane as his work. And I find sometimes people either get it or they don't or they pretend they get it and then they judge, which just reveals the fact that they just don't get it which is okay, I suppose. Uh, he's a father, a husband, a rapper. Retired. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Retired. His name is Sanchez. He has the most interesting names for his kids, which you'll be sharing with us later. Are, are you allowed to tell us your kids' names? Yeah, well, maybe, okay. maybe, yeah, maybe we'll maybe. get into it. Maybe, maybe. not. Um, but yeah, Sanchez, very, very, very happy to have you here. Welcome to The Unsullied. I feel very clean. I okay. have been thoroughly washed. <laughs> this is no washing here. There are bubbles <laughs> wafting around the studio. When I met you, like you had an afro. Trees. Now you have dreadlocks. Like time has passed. Well, I think there's a natural progression there, isn't there? Yes, but mm. some people lose hair. They don't then grow so much hair that they start braiding it or dyeing it and dreadlocking it up. At this, at this day, at this age, 
You're was, not showing your age. Was, it was, um, this is the point where, you know, I wish this was video so you could see the <laughs> the streets of gray going through the architecture you. You of my hair. Nah, man. Just to try and fill among with the old people. I've been green since I was 21. <laughs> it's hard out here in these streets. It's so hard. All right. So let's start with, where, 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 where do you feel like starting from? Beginnings? Parents? I don't know. Where are you from? How do your parents meet? I don't know. That's, I don't know their life. <laughs> <laughs> your parents should know something. I don't know, I don't know their life. Okay. That's a very, okay, hold on. That's actually kind of a very dope question. Because I do not know. Really? I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to make some tough phone calls. You don't know because they never, you never asked them or they would tell you, but you didn't care enough to sort of like register. Okay, yeah, they met no, the I don't, owner of the town nah, hall in Benin. I don't, I don't, I don't think um, we didn't have that kind of relationship. Let me put it that way. Okay. Um, nah, we didn't talk about things like that. Okay. So I just realized right now, I don't know how they met. I, I, I will find out. Please do. It'll be family history night. Where were you born and did you move around a lot? Um, I was born in Benin City, Edo State. Yeah, and I got something right. For the first maybe, what was it, 21 years of my life, I moved um, as far as a 15-hour bus ride could take me from my house. So I literally never went anywhere. I don't think I left been in till I was 21, I think. I was a hobbit. But um, I really don't think I went anywhere till I was 21. I didn't move around a lot. I, I grew up in the same house. So when I hear people say, you know, we moved five or six times in my childhood, I can't relate. Kind of went to one school, finished there. Went mm-hmm. to another school, finished there. Like, I didn't do a lot of... There was a lot of stability, I guess. Was that... I mean, obviously, there's some things you can't control because you're a child, but... Thinking about things you could have controlled, did you also deliberately contribute to the not really moving around further than five, that 15 naira? No. Okay. No, that was not a... Um, I had s- small town problems, I guess. Um, my dad was kind of big on exposure, so to speak. So, I mean, I remember we had at least three or four different sets of encyclopedias and they weren't there for sure. They were there for you to read them. So... Uh, he had a library in the house. We read very, very widely. Um, so at a certain age, I wanted to leave. Which is funny because I hate to travel. Did you want to leave because you just didn't want to read them anymore? Or you wanted to leave because you'd read so much about these places, you wanted to see them and actually live in them? See, weird is none of the two. I read so much that I literally felt like I already lived there. Always had a hyperactive imagination. So... I left because I just felt there was nothing I could do there. I don't know what I could do there, which is a very funny, weird thing to say, but I always just felt there, there's nothing here for me right now. Like the things I want to do, nobody else does it here. Um, so I went to find my tribe, I guess. Before we get to your, your tribe, because your tribe has changed a, a few times because your interests have changed. Well, no, you've suppressed certain parts of your, your interests. I have. In favor of the other. I have. Like you stopped rapping. doesn't mean you don't care about the music anymore, but you've just decided mm. on, and I'm using the on purpose, mm. uh, you've just decided on the, not even movies, it's more TV specifically. Television. Yes. Yes. So I wouldn't say that your interests have changed. You've just repressed certain 
no, I'm just, and your I've, tribe has grown around I've, each interest. I've re I've rewired my interests. Hmm. Cause I mean, it's not as if I still don't do music, but it's, it's different. Like if I'm show running a show, then I'm elbows deep in the music. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there's still music. It's just not me performing it. So still interested in music always will be. Okay. I have a, a music question for you later. Which that you sounds might enjoy. vaguely threatening. But you okay. might enjoy it. Perhaps not. But before we get to it, I would like to still get a sense of who you were as a child. So I like to describe childhood in relative terms important terms, terms that people really understand and it means something. So when they hear it, they're like, ah, I know exactly what you mean. And the only term everybody universally acceptable is food. Okay. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So I would describe is my childhood. Yes. My childhood, I w- it would be a big, dry looking bird, which when you cut into it, it has pockets of surprises, you know, good and bad. Like, where the seasoning lodged itself in the corner, you know, when you put a bit too much seasoning and you didn't realize you did that. And then there's some parts where the oil kind of entered, where it was starting to fry it a little bit. And then the other side is dry and there's some moist parts. There's no moist, but then the bacon that you put on top is crackling, you know, I that kind of thing. I just want to point out that first of all, you're just showing off that y- you can write this good. No, good. I'm just saying. But second this, of all, I'm not done describing my childhood. The weirdest analogy I have ever heard. <laughs> But thank you because you have just helped me get my answer. Continue. My childhood, I, I had burnt parts. I have my answer. I had parts where no, but I have my answer. it's like it was almost sweet, and you're like, "Ooh, I want to get to the marrow of that." And there's some parts where like, "Wow, who cooked this?" You know, and there's some parts where it was being neglected. It was in the oven a bit too long, and you have to sort of pour a gallon of grace over it just to make it palatable. Definitely a big turkey, I'd say, if I were a bird, not chicken. It'd be turkey because chicken is easier to keep moist than turkey. I don't cook. I have no idea. You don't cook. This was a bad one. (laughs) I should have picked something else. But I do prefer turkey to chicken. Because there's more meat to it. Yeah. Again. Yeah, turkey. I ride for the the white meat. I ride for turkey, though. So I, my childhood would be definitely a big turkey because it is difficult. Um, It's a difficult bird, rather, for many to get right. Okay. I yes. didn't get myself right, and, and people who looked after, looked after me definitely didn't get me right either. Okay, so your childhood. Go. Here's the weird thing. Um, maybe because of where I am right now, um, and I've been here for a little bit. I honestly do not attribute any, for lack of a better word, responsibility or power for how I turned out to somebody else. I generally like to believe everybody did their best, and if they didn't do their best, they are lost. Um, my childhood would be characterized by the fact that I did not know what bacon was until I was in my late twenties. Okay. Like I knew what it was like intellectually, but I never saw bacon. I had bacon until I was like 24. Um, which is constant beef between me and my kids, by the way. You know? Can I ask where you had your first bacon? Um, cause ShopRite was ShopRite and I don't no. mean to, sh- to ask to, no. to talk about your age, but ShopRite wasn't <laughs> around then when you were 24, was it? I'm not that old. <laughs> Please, viewers at home. ShopRite just got to you, but don't like two days ago. But what are you talking thing. about? Here's the thing. Um, it was at somebody's house, actually. Okay. Another famous quote when they say, you don't know, a child doesn't know it's poor until he plays in a rich kid's yes. house. Yeah, that was me. But, okay, here's the thing. We're back. Food analogy. Best one would be, my childhood was Gary and Beans. But not just Gary and Beans. You know when you take Gary and Beans, then you mix it into this paste and start using it to build structures? That's what it was. It was... It was hard, but you didn't know it was hard because you made the best out of it. You you had fun with it. You used your imagination, filled the gaps. 
and forgot to eat. So you went to bed hungry after building a castle of curry and beans you can't eat now. But, you know, it was, it was, it was, hey. And I'd, I'd like to say it wasn't rougher than most and it wasn't softer than most. It was, I'm sure like, you know, all my siblings would all look back and all tell you completely different things and we're all raised in the same house. Uh, it had its rough side. It had its fun side. Question is, what did we make of it? I've, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, weirdly enough. My therapist says I've repressed it. To which I answered, then it must be for good reason. Deuces. So, um, yeah, I, I think I've gone back and picked as much out of my childhood as I can possibly get to make myself a better person. The rest of it, uh, it is what it is. Okay. So let's talk about who you are now. And let's talk about you in terms of a character. This is the worst day, by the way. To interview me, by the way, I've had Why? a rough day. I've had a rough week. I've had a rough month. But so, okay. you know, you know, on The Unsullied, what we do is we sit, we talk, we drink, we talk some more. Mm. Victor Sanchez says that he doesn't drink. I don't say I don't, I don't drink. He doesn't. You say you don't do alcohol. I didn't say. I actually don't do. Okay. No, no, no. no. So I, sorry. No, no, no. Says implies that you're lying. No, no. So he okay. doesn't drink. And I thought, hmm, okay. So what can I offer you? So you offered me. He said, he said malls, and I couldn't find malls. In a Am I pronouncing this correctly? Moet, I think. Moet. Moet Chandon. Yes. Oh, oh. The biddy boy has a little class. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. But anyway. So, I, I'm sorry that you've had a rough day. If there's anything I can do to make it better, do um, let me stop know. Stop interviewing me before I go ahead and cobalize myself. Besides that. But okay. No? This will be fun for somebody somewhere. We shall continue. Thank you very much. So let's talk about you, current day you, as a character, a TV character even. So would you be like a... Hmm. Blair Wardoff? Would you be like... Current day TV character. Actually, it doesn't have to be current day. You can pick Nosa from Checkmate and explain why that would be who you are, for instance. Okay, so the funny thing is... um, I really believe people suck at describing themselves. Mm-hmm. I think the best person to describe you would be someone who spends a lot of time around you. But um, I still find it interesting because like, I would never say, oh, do you think you're a loyal person? Because your answer, regardless who you are, will never, it will always be disingenuous. Yes, it'll be but then what I want say, you to think I am. Right. Um, but then if it's more abstract like if there was a character that you would, not somebody who want to play you because those answers are also very, very bullshitty. <laughs> but just a character that you connect with on some level. I find there's, there's some truth behind that. That's I would say um, it'd be a weird mashup of Chandler Bing from Friends. Uh, like someone who used humor to deflect the fact that, you know, I don't know what to do with my hands and I'm awkward. I'm societally awkward and I secretly think I'm smarter than everybody else, but I'm emotionally stunted. Um, it would be a mix of Chandler Bing and Walter White. So... As somebody who's seen both of those shows, that's Friends and what's the other one? Breaking Bad. Sorry, Breaking Bad. I would say on the intelligence part and on the, you will do whatever it takes. And once you commit, you've committed to the job. You're definitely a Walter White in that sense. And I can explain that in terms of, for instance, being with you on set, you might have a script that we're working with and things will happen. And some directors will be like, that's it. Fuck this shit. Pack the shit. We're all going home throw a tantrum Sanchez is like oh, okay the artist didn't show up cool oh the costume design decided, decided not to bring the wardrobe oh, okay cool oh the location we have decided that Nepa is not going to be there for today no problem and guess what he on the spot fixes it 
control issues. <laughs> no, that's all it is, control issues. And when I say fixes, I don't mean, okay, you know what, we're just going to go and do B-roll or something. He said, no, he literally writes an entire scene and shoots it on the spot. Sometimes using what's just happened and sometimes something completely different. But then when you're watching it, you're just like, wow, was this part of the original script I got? No, no. Okay. Um, but I do think you're more of a Chandler Bing. Yeah, I think so too. So, see, we got to the truth. Yay. High five us. <laughs> high five sound effect. Are you where you thought you would be when you wanted to be where you, th- where you are now? I thought I'd be dead. So I'd say yes. <laughs> why, why did you think that? Um, I didn't think I'd make it past 27. That was a deliberate, that was a, an actual fear of mine. So when I was growing up, I lived with, a, with, with an aunt who told me that I would never amount to much in life and that I would drop out of high school pregnant and I would not make it past a certain age in life full stop. So I kind of get that, um, but that's from someone telling me. What the hell did you do to her? I'm just curious. She was mean. She was really mean. How she doing? I hope she's good now, though. No, I'm not, I'm not even shading. I don't do shade. I genuinely hope she's good now. Because that's a lot of good bitterness. Good in one sense. I mean, I hope she's okay. That's a lot of bitterness to carry around for a kid. Well, she's alive. Something costs that. Like, I somebody, don't have a relationship Something with her. hurts her really badly. I'm genuinely, I, I genuinely hope she's okay. Though. I hope she's gotten past that. I, I, well, All that bitterness. If you want me to look for her number, I'm sure I can call somebody who might have her number. You can ask her. But that's I a lot of bitterness to carry around. Especially for, uh, say that to a child. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious as to what happened to her. But anyway. So I understand the, the, the sentiment behind thinking because at some point in time, I genuinely believed that I was nothing. And I think maybe there are times when even in my adulthood, I still struggle with that voice that tells me that she was right. You are nothing. You will never be anything. You know, I, I do struggle with that. I have to put this in incredible amounts of context. Okay. So I seem to struggle from the exact opposite. And mm-hmm. I work best with people who sort of um, have imposter syndrome. And this is me not judging anybody. I'm just saying um, my closest collaborators are people that I can be completely vulnerable with. And people who say they have imposter syndrome where they're at that point where they feel, how did I get here? Mm. Is everybody going to figure out I'm not as great as they think I am and all that? I don't have that. I suffer from the exact opposite. I'm good at only one thing. Wow, that's incredible. Is that why we connected? Because I definitely have imposter yeah, syndrome. I suck at everything. I can't cook. I can't swim. I can't ride a bicycle. Everybody's... Be- I learned how to drive when I was about 28, 29. I think everybody's basic life skills I do not have. Um, I learned how to use a fire extinguisher last year. Um, like basic things everybody seems to know. I don't know how to do that. I know how to do only one thing, tell stories. Um, in whatever format now, be it music, be it, but I know how to tell stories and I'm damn good at it. I'm not stroking my own ego. I'm speaking quite factually. But it's almost the only thing I'm good at, which means I need people's help to navigate through normal life, everyday life anyway. I suck at negotiating contracts unless there's a story behind it. If I'm negotiating with someone who did me dirty 20 years ago, which has happened, oh, I'm going to be the best negotiator you've ever seen. (laughs) But if it's just walking to a deal, I don't know anything about the story, I'm going to suck. So um, I kind of have a, I have 64 ideas currently in my laptop that I've written pilots to. 64 shows, I know how old, even if I made a show a year between now and when I died, I'm not going to get these 64 shows out. Um, so I don't know. I work very well with people who seem to have an imposter syndrome because I seem to rub off and give them a little bit of, come on, man, what you talking about? We're the best at this. But I also need a certain level of, of vulnerability, I guess, to 
you know, second guess my own work. Right. Um, Cause I'm very adamant about the audience's point of view, not mine. I don't make it for myself. So it's really great when I have someone who is um, willing to balance out my almost megalomania in my need to, in my need to do the job the best possible way okay, it can you, be done. Now that you've used that word, I really need to give me the full quote. That, oh, the quote. Oh, someone, um, someone interviewed me once and uh, she didn't like me a lot. So he's sipping his sugar cane as he, as he remembers this wonderful human yeah, being that called him. What? She said, um, I had uh, delusional self-confidence bordering on megalomania. That's epic. I want to be described like that. I, I don't think she had ever met a confident person before. Plus I think she was pretty insecure about certain things. Hmm. So, but I, she was very nice. She just was very defensive. Have you seen her since? No, I, I hesitated because I know why I haven't seen her though. The outfit she walked for has folded and she's moved over to the financial services industry. So back to the question, because I was about to ask you something else about her, but let's, let's leave her. Today's not about her. Um, <laughs> she good. She good. I was asking if you are where you thought you would be when you wanted to be who you are now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And you said that you didn't think you would live Let me answer that question clearly. So, mm-hmm. Let me answer that question clearly. I didn't think I would make it past 27. So I made all my plans to end at 27. I literally did not have a plan beyond 27. Like, I did not have a plan beyond 27. Um, but in terms of, like, career-wise, um, I just wanted to get my name on the screen. I, all I wanted to do was see written and directed by. That's all I wanted out of life. It was just do that before 27 and I'm good. You know what I mean? And then that happened when I was 23. What age did you get married? 27. So for someone who didn't think he would live beyond 27, mm-hmm. was it right that you met somebody and then you said, marry me? And she I'd was say like, oh, okay, because you thought you weren't going to live. So you, you, were, you were willing to let her be a widow at 28. Somewhere around 25, I started, you know, changing the whole, okay. you'll make it past 27. But for me, 27 was phase two. Whatever happened between zero and 27, like when I meet people I went to secondary school with, um, I apologize if you went to secondary school with me because I might be quite confusing if you meet me now because I generally don't remember more than maybe seven days of my entire secondary school life. So would it be fair to say that to a certain extent, you did die at 27? Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Because hmm. uh, 27 was like phase two. Like I really, I changed almost everything, not deliberately. It's just uh, my wife, I've known her since I was about 15 so she can tell me sometimes like, oh, yo, you've changed. Oh, do you remember you used to be like this? And I'm like, when? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that is true. Plus, I didn't take pictures a lot when I was a teenager. You barely take pictures now. Yeah, I barely take pictures now. But then I deliberately didn't want to take any pictures. It was very critical being angst. Why take pictures? I'll be gone soon anyway. The folly of youth. <laughs> but anyway. Um, I'm trying to remember when we first met. Was it, it was at a massive castle call audition. Is that where we Did met? Did I meet you before that? No, I think I met you then. Is that where we met? Yes. For stars in their new Hollywood, going to Nollywood, something, something or the other. Huh? Yes, I remember it now. I absolutely remember it now. Um, I think I still remember what you were wearing. I have no idea what I wore. Because I thought you looked like a fairy. I was like, where did they tell her she was coming to? <laughs> what is wrong with her? I can't remember what I wore. And you were simultaneously mega nervous. I was extremely nervous and, and that hasn't changed. I still am extremely nervous at auditions and I mean, we'll get into that in a second. But I remember that day because I walked in, there was you, there was Sheba Batokwe. Yes. There was, I want to say Tokwe Oshin was there, but I'm probably wrong. 
And then there was another woman who might have been Pam Ofeu. No. Was she no, there then? No. no. I don't think Pam was there was there. a woman who I can't remember for the life of who she is right now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I remember she definitely. Yeah. Um, I remember she for sure was there, but I I can't remember anybody else. But the panel, you were of all of them, you were extremely mean. No, I wasn't. You were asking me the most obtuse questions, and in hindsight, there was a reason why you asked me those yes. questions. And it was, but it was the question. It had nothing to do with why I was there, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it. Obviously, no, no, I did. Actually, no, I did make it past that round. Yeah, you made it past the first round. The first round and. Moving on from that, because there's another story attached to that, which I'm not trying to get into. But yeah, months later, you then called me and said you're working on something and you had me in mind. And I realized that the questions you'd been asking me that day was because you were probably working on something. Mm-hmm. And you were thinking, well, she's terrible for this, but she might work for that. So let's see how she handles things. Partially. So, is that you? This long-winded story is to find out what are you like at auditions? Is that your... Do you do it because you are generally looking... Because some people go to auditions because they just want to tick the box and ha- hire who they wanted to hire anyway. Some people do the audition process because they genuinely want to see new talent. And new talent doesn't necessarily mean experienced talent. And some people are on that table and they're mean because I am bored and you're standing in front of me and I might as well just, you know entertain myself i've i've heard this story that i'm mean at auditions and i've heard this story that i'm mean period um i don't know <laughs> if i am um do you enjoy the you, audition process though no do you find it as painful as the actors that stand across the table from you yes um i think the audition process is slightly unnatural if you are not sure what it is if you mix a casting call with an audition, with a screen test, they're not the same thing. So if, if I'm here looking for a specific type of character, then it's on, it's my responsibility to put out what I'm looking for. So only people who think they fit or think they can change my mind should show up. But if I'm looking for a character who is, um, a specific look because I've already cast his sister, his brother, his, and you open the doors and now, now I'm not talking about the actors. I'm talking about production. Or I'm talking about the producer. You open the doors to everybody. That's just not fair. And there are people who are going to come in who are wasting their time and maybe perceived to be wasting my time, but I don't, I don't see it that way. Um, I had nothing better to do. They had lives. I'm, this is my life. I'm, I'm at work. They took time out of their work, um, to come in and I'm like, this, this is, mm. but, I go into auditions looking for people who have, I don't know how to explain this, who are best for the part. And if not the part, a part. Maybe it's the writer, director thing. I don't know. So, um, I'm usually, cause I'm usually working on multiple projects. So at any audition, I am kind of casting for four or five projects in my head at the same time. Um, I ask a lot of weird questions simply because people get very defensive when they're nervous because I think people are their harshest critics especially air quotes here, smart people. Um, so they make one stumble and they forget about the audition and start kicking themselves. But the funny thing is in the kicking themselves, you see how they are because they forget you're there for like 20 seconds. And that window, sometimes you see something and you're like, whoa, that's what she's really like. That's what he's really like. And I start to poke there to see if I can, you know, find something else. So a moment that's honest, 
Because, I mean, you know you're coming to audition, so you dress a certain way. You carry yourself a certain way. You're trying to impress. <laughs> I can't see you, though. Because I'm, I'm casting for a character, but I'm going to hire a person. And especially in television, I'm going to be stuck with the person for months on end. Man, if I don't get along with the person, there's a problem. So, um, I, I don't really enjoy the audition process um, unless... Um, unless it's like small auditions and I can have enough time with each person to be like, I right, find this person doesn't fit this role, but ooh, there's this other thing. Can I, if I don't have the time and it gets really frustrating, but here's a fun story. So after auditioning for a bunch of people for a long time, um, there was a period of five years in which I saw, I think three, no, I think it was 9,000 people in five years. Fun times. This guy ran into me on in TFC Atokwebi, I'm saying where it is because he might hear this, so okay. he should know I'm talking about him. I didn't recognize this guy. Dude went all up in his feelings. Grabbed my shirt. I'm not playing. I was yelling in my face, you think what? you will hold my destiny? What? You will live long in this industry to see the star that I will become. You cannot hold my destiny. I was like, yo, I don't even remember you, bro. <laughs> But he was really upset. <laughs> apparently, apparently, he had auditioned for me four years in a row mm. and had never gotten a call back. And what's funny is most of those panels, I'm just sitting there with a paper in front of me. I just write what I think and move on. They're not my projects. Then I, I have nothing t- to say in who they pick finally. I just, this person, yes, no, maybe. Yes, no, maybe. Yes, no, maybe. It is what it is. Who they finally pick out of my hands. But because I'm the face to see at the table. Thankfully, that, is, that was a while back. I don't, I don't do auditions that much anymore. I feel like, well, you did one. Um, I, I was away for a bit because, again, imposter syndrome and my way of getting around that. Because a lot of the times I do find myself in situations where I think I have no business being here. I don't. It's that grace. It's that grace. It's, don't no, make me preach up in here. <laughs> but it's okay. It's like, I, I, not, I don't have any business. No, it's. Imposter syndrome is just the perfect way to describe it. So I, I can't, I can't describe it other than that. And the way I try to get around it is to study mm-hmm. and to learn mm-hmm. because then it gives me something to hold on to. So even though I'm in a room and I think maybe everyone's, I know everyone's talking about brain surgery or something and I know nothing about it, but I'm there for a reason. I will then go and study whatever it is everyone else in the room. So at least I can be part of conversation and know that actually in addition to what I know about whatever I already know, I also know the technical parts of what you're talking about. Which is how Orica lent brain surgery in an afternoon. In, an, in, in one afternoon. <laughs> That's such a terrible analogy, but I come along with me now. And um, with acting, it's something that I remember I used to work at the Beat FM and the guys from Jacob's Cross, when they were still going, they came in for an interview. This is before Tinsel had its 1000 whatever episode that they brought a whole bunch of people in to, to be interviewed at our station. And the lady, I remember she was a South African woman and another guy came with her from South Africa as well. And they said, we would love to have you on the show, like on Jacob's Corps and Act. I was like, acting me, please, I'm not an actor, please don't offend people who actually do this job. And I've had roles offered to me in the past and I always just never. Oh, look at you. But then you, with you, for whatever reason, I think it was that prodding that you did and just... I can't even tell you the story behind me going to that audition that day in the first place. I, I wasn't supposed to go. But I went 
And it was just such a spectacular experience. It was a monumental failure on many levels, <laughs> but it was also quite interesting. And for that alone, I appreciated that I, that I went because I like learning stuff, okay. you know? And it was in the prodding that you did. And so when you did call me, I felt if I'm ever going to stand in front of a camera on purpose, I'm going to do it with this guy because like, and, and like you said, it's probably because you're not just the director, you're, you're a writer director. So there are things that you see and maybe there are questions or, or there's a, there's a way you tell your stories that definitely appeal to, to me. Also helps that I'm fragile looking and non-threatening. No, no, that doesn't help. Yeah. No. Orica can actually break me in half. I've seen, no, her, no, I've no. seen her gym videos. No. The, th- the truth is I have worked with fragile looking, non-threatening looking people who are actually extremely scary. So no, that wouldn't do it. Can I meet them? Anyway. <laughs> so, um, right. Where was I going with this? So about the audition process, there's one thing that I, oh yeah. So I then, in recent times, signed mm. myself up to drama school. Signed yourself up to. Signed myself you up You said it with it. the same tone as you would say, I offered myself as burning sacrifice to. And it's not far from <laughs> Okay. There's then. a particular teacher that I'll tell you about. So <laughs> this woman was crazy. Yeah. I will never forget her. Greta. See, that's the point, isn't it? Greta, Greta, Greta. It's about the same. Some people say Greta, some say Greta. I think she prefers we call Greta. I haven't met those exotic people. She is. I know a lot of Alupa Fiocos. Well, that's okay. <laughs> Okay. But one of the classes we had was, you know, talked about auditions and things. And they said something about how when you don't get a part, it's nothing other than as long as you've gone there, you've done the work, you've prepared for it, you've decided what you want to do and you portrayed yourself, however, whatever you, whatever it is that you've done, believe and accept that it was enough. It might not have been your best work that day, but whatever you did, you showed up is mm-hmm. enough. When you don't get picked, it's not that they didn't pick you. As a person, it's not yeah. about you, the person. Yeah, it's not person. It's the character. Yep. It might be something as small as the character needs to be four feet taller and you're yeah. not. So no matter how amazing you are, chances are. I, I agree completely. I can't tell you how many auditions I've written down people's numbers, right? And be like, all right, not a good fit for this, but I definitely want to work with her somewhere, right? And then the official cast list for this show comes out and they're not on it. Then I call them up to talk about the next project, the one I thought they'd be good for. And they are already so salty that they weren't on this one that they hang up on me. Oh, that is such a shame. Happened like twice or thrice. No, no, no. That's a shame. And I'm like, all right, cool. I, I don't want to work with somebody who is this, for lack of a better word, emotionally immature. I, I, I get it that it hurts that you didn't get this show, right? Cool. But really? But I think the penny dropped for me... Um, because while I was in drama school, I spoke to different teachers and met different directors and, and things. And they talk about the audition process. And I believe that there's an element of that that's missing in the Nigerian industry. And I'm not saying that because I'm, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, I went to school. and You didn't know that's not it at all. Which is what? What I'm saying is I find that I didn't know that. I didn't know. So I would go home and kick myself. And mm. I mean, I'd never hang up on you if you call me and say, oh, do this job instead. But I would definitely feel like it's me. I fucked up. I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I know that I, I mean, I know the days when I show up on set and my audition or an audition for something and I know that it was awful. In fact, mm. I would not hire me. And there are days when I know that I, I put in solid work. And so when they say, no, we've passed and we pick somebody else, I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. It just meant that I wasn't right. And I haven't, I, that switch only happened for me maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, it happens. At, well, the switch happens for you at different times. I mean, um, 
there was a year, there was a year, I think it was 2015, where I worked maybe eight projects simultaneously. I will never do that again. Mm. So for all of y'all doing your, your year of yes, miss me with that. Um, <laughs> that year almost killed me. But, um, and what I learned in that year was um, something really bizarre. Everybody suddenly, suddenly found my number somewhere. Like everybody suddenly. Did when I say everybody. put I mean, it up on Twitter? Yeah, that happened too. But um, <laughs> X is hitting me up on Facebook. But anyway, um, hi, um, was basically <laughs> to everybody you had eight wins. Oh, I had eight wins or four wins that year. What is hilarious is how most, I'm calling it a cliche, most um, isms come from something based in reality. Uh, my ratio, I calculated it's something about 18 to one. Wow, that's insane. I would never think that, like, knowing 18, how much you were. It's about 18 to 1. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if it's high Because you low. stay booked. I have nothing to... This guy is so busy we that even when he says, I'm not working, he is working, like, two, three, four of the jobs. We have to pay school fees. If I was good, good, good. I'm here with Victor Sanchez. I got, I've never pronounced your name right. And you've yes, never you never corrected not. me. No, and I I've always... Like I try and I try and I try again. I'm like, well, it's been years, almost a decade now since I've known you. So here's why I don't correct you. My um, traditional name yeah. is Ihomo Bonyakenga. Now, when you go around for a few years with that name, yeah. people tend to butcher it on a daily basis. You get tired of correcting people. So you just smile and wave. And like, I know who you're talking to. You're talking to me. It's fine. But my surname is Agahua. Agahua. Yeah, Agahua. Agahua. Agahua, yes. Agahua. Nope, one G. Agahua. Agahua. Why did I get it wrong again? extra G in there. It's Agahua. Because I'm, I'm thinking about how it's spelt. It's one G. Agahua. No, you have a G and H, and then you have a... H. See? It's a it's G and ag- H. Ag- A-G-H. Uh-huh. Agahua. Oh, Agahua. Oh. <laughs> I had it and then I have now confused it's okay. myself. It's okay. <laughs> but he loves me anyway. I've so been known to funny. answer to, is the you there? <laughs> no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> so you've had multiple jobs, like even when you're making a movie, or well, sorry, when you're doing TV, because you have done movies, you've, you've dabbled. I've dabbled. But then you you write, you produce, you also do the music scoring, you're the location manager, you're the everything. Not really. <laughs> how do you balance your passion? How do you build your audience? How have you built your audience? And then more importantly, and I, this is tied to the, the house I've asked so far. How do you make, how do you clarify your voice within the industry? I don't think I have done that one. But um, here's the thing. How do I, let me take the questions one by one. How do I balance my passions? Um, I make TV. Yeah, but that, for it, sorry to, to um, interrupt, yeah? but like your passion is your passion, right? But because of the way the industry is set up, sometimes you can't be the director because sometimes you have to help out to make sure the light is a certain way. Like you can't just be that one thing because thing. sometimes I, the people on set don't let you be. Again, I'm going to come back to my little thing where I do not cede control of anything to somebody outside myself. Okay. Um, I have a choice. If somebody doesn't let me do what I want to do, I have a choice. I can walk away or I can play my part. I'm not a tree. I don't have roots. And there are still buses that go to Benin every day. 
I can get back on that bus and go home. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, balancing the passion is, uh, knowing when to be a team player, knowing when you're a team leader, knowing when you're a team cheerleader, you know, do what is needed to get the project across the line. It's that simple for me. Um, how do I clarify my voice in the industry? I, I don't know if I have. Um, I make a type of project and I, I believe, because I've heard this, that there's a certain type of project people now say it's, you know, well, that sounds like your type of thing. Great, I guess. Very hip-hop, as Banjo would say. Yes, it's very hip-hop. Um, <laughs> I tend to write a lot of shows that have female leads, I guess, if that's one of my things. Because women are so You're not being fair to yourself there because... At a time when people are trying to get more women to get involved in the industry, this is around the world, not just Nigeria or Africa. I found that your set was one of the first ones and probably still is. No, no, one of the first ones. No, it was the first one. Yes, that's accurate. That I walked on and I mean, walked into and I found that there were women in each department. So yeah. the women weren't just the makeup artist yeah. or the hairdresser. Your producer was female. Yeah. Your location manager, female, every single. But you've been on other sets because you have a friend who shoots Mm -hmm. stuff. And would you say that arguably your set's very different in comparison? I don't know. Because honestly speaking, I genuinely don't look at it on a gender basis. Okay. I just hire the best people. Okay. So I don't. It's later people brought this to my attention. And I was like, cool. (laughs) Because I don't look at it from a gender bias at all. And... Um, only very recently I realized that there were gender biases. Again, maybe it's that control thing, but I'm very careful about the kind of people I hang around with mm. in terms of um, mentality. So if I'm rolling with someone and I smell, God bless him, he's a dyed-in-wool misogynist, that's his thing, that's who he is, how he chooses to live his life. I can also choose not to roll with you. It's that simple. Um, so yeah, I never really saw it that way. But I'm also going to say you're not the first person to have mentioned it to me. Um, it was not a deliberate decision. I just tend to, I just tend to not discriminate. I don't, if you do the job well enough for me, let's go there. Mm. Let's go there. I, it's, it's part of my no asshole policy. So I then argue that you're saying that you don't think you, you've clarified your voice in the industry. And I, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know that I have. I, I believe you have because the if, next if few people projects I do, you. people are going to be confused. So <laughs> You but know? if people can tell you off the bat that that's your kind of project, it, it, it must mean there's certain themes, there's a certain motif. Yes, I have, cer- I have themes I go back to again yeah. and again. But I think that's tell, true tell for... Us, what, are, what are the themes that you find yourself going back to again and again, regardless what story, true. whether you've written it or not? Because yeah. like, as a director, you don't just shoot your own work, you shoot other people's work. Here's a which thought. means that even when you say yes to shooting something for somebody else, there must be certain themes in there that still speak to your overarching Here's motif. I suck at shooting other people's work. I've tried it and I've realized I suck at shooting other people's work. I'm going to interrupt him again here because he just does not let himself live. He has worked on Hush, Hotel Majestic, Jimenji. Is that how you pronounce it? Because I always mispronounce that one as well. But you're naming shows in which I had. You didn't write all of them. But I had a strong voice. There were so many episodes. But I had a strong voice in the writing of all of them. Okay. If I was not involved in the writing in any way, form or manner, like, I don't know the story inside out before I arrive on set. I have a problem shooting it. If I don't, if I don't have the freedom to change things as they go, I cannot give it my best. It's not a deliberate choice. It's not, I don't want to. I found I cannot. It is actually a shortcoming. It is stopping me from buying that, you know, twin duplessing like you want. But it's, 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 um, 
it's a shortcoming. I, I, I don't know that I'm willing to expend the energy needed to overcome it, though. I'd rather focus on putting myself in a position where I can make my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I can... I'm not very good at directing what other people have written. And is that because their voice is completely different to yours? Um, I got you cause, there. Yeah, it's because um, it's because if I can't hear their voice, um, and sometimes in our industry, unfortunately, um, um, some projects are made by committee, mm. um, and those projects are really difficult for me to work on because I need somebody's voice. Um, so if there's somebody's clear voice, then I can decide does. Do, you know, do I want to roll with this or not? But if it's been made by committee, whose voice am I supposed to work in? I can't do that. So do I have my own clear voice? I guess I'm trying to figure out my own voice. Um, but to get back to your main question, the themes I find myself coming back to again and again, um, almost always family, but not in the traditional sense. Okay. Not in, I'm fascinated by the idea that you have no choice about the family you were born into. Maybe because, and here's a fun story, my family, we cool, we're family, but we are not as kissy, huggy, huggy, family, family picture. Let's all travel down for baby brother's birthday as most, we're not. Um, my wife, all her siblings stay in her business. She stay in all her siblings' business. And it's fascinating to me to watch because I didn't grow up like that. I don't have that. Um, I've always been fascinated by that. But what I'm really fascinated by is you are born into a family you had no choice in. You did not pick any of these people. Then you make a family. You call it a clique of people that you gravitated towards by whatever reason. Then out of those people, you pick one and go start a family with. So there's everybody kind of goes through, to put it in very basic terms, maybe three stages, three different types of family where you are born into one, you make one, you choose one. And I'm just kind of fascinated about that's very you know, interesting that arc, um, and how quite unclear it is, because people like to act like you have no say in all of it. So mm-hmm. people do that. I don't. I didn't ask to be born. Then they do the whole. You can't choose who you fall in love with. Yes, you can. You can't choose who you are attracted to. Fair is fair, but come on. Um, but anyway. So what's your concept of love then? If you think that you can choose who you love. Now, is this love in general who you fall and choose to stay in love with? In which case, do you mean that love is a choice in the sense that you choose to stay in love with somebody? There are people you're attracted to. Okay. You're going to be attracted to multiple people. Um, I don't know if there's a theory of the one because the one is half of a sentence. I believe there's the one who, the one who what for you. There's the one who got away. We're clear about that one. But we say she was the one. The one who what? Um, you'll be attracted to a lot of people, but then you choose one. You choose to try and make a family with one. Um, and in the event in which you decide that you made a horrible mistake, or the person decides that you were a horrible mistake, <laughs> some people go and try again. But some people also choose not to. I'm thinking back now to some of the work that you've done that I've either seen or, or been a part of, whether in front of or behind the camera on some level. Because, oh yeah, you're also the one who gave me my first producer credit. I didn't give you your first producer credit. You earned that credit. He gave you my first producer credit. I didn't give you the credit. You earned that credit. You did the work. You've popped my cherry many a times. My first plenty things. Wow. <laughs> wow. My first very, very plenty wow. things. Um, I'm going back to... left field. Anyway, you were saying. <laughs> I'm going back to how she. 
Yo. How she is a project. Now, you can argue in your own house and throw your phone into your own toilet when I say this, but it is, as far as I'm concerned, the first, the only legitimate web series that came out of Nigeria. And this man was responsible for the vision, the, first the everything. Season, yes. The first ever what? The first that ran a full season, yes. yes. There was one before it, but it ran only two episodes and stopped. Okay. It was called I Hate Monday Mornings. It was fun. Can't remember who did that. Oh, no, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. fun. But no, yours got released before that. No, I Hate Monday that Mornings. Because that one started, no, that started as a blog series. And it, then it he had, did the video for it. It had an episode up. Then that episode was just there for a long time. And mm. then nothing followed up. And then another one came, I think, after. Another one came. And then there was nothing after that. I didn't go back, but by the time we released our finale, it had only two episodes up. So yeah. I remember we Daniel. Yeah, Daniel was in it. it. Yeah, so we were the first it. to do a full season. And with that, based on this idea of themes that you're talking about, I, I'm just thinking about how even within that, there was this idea of, you know, the girl. Who, all the themes were there. Yeah. Oh, all of it was there. It, 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 was, it, is, it is essentially like a snapshot of my entire, my entire thing, I guess. Um, and that was the first project you solo project you did yeah. outside of Tinsel. So we're talking about voice. Yes. That right there was the first time I got to stretch my legs, so yes. to speak. So, um, yeah, it was about a girl caught between um, her brother and her brother's girlfriend. But not just the person of her brother's girlfriend, the idea of her brother having a serious relationship. She just was not comfortable with because she didn't want to let her brother go per se. Um, and it's, yeah, like what we just said, it's somebody not wanting to let go of one structure and admitting the next structure. Her brother had to move on. Um, also female lead. Also comedy with dramatic elements. Um, Which again, for its time, was very, very new. So you it's, explored it's, a lot of very new ideas, uh, right down to the music. Yeah, uh, I remember that, and I, I was still a newbie in Nigeria then, so I, I do not say this to disparage or ignore anyone who may have done this is just if they had done it before it definitely wasn't it didn't come under my radar at all but music mm. you are the first person that i found who actually used music as part of the storytelling in nigeria <laughs> well people have it's just not in a Again, contemporary they didn't fashion come no no let me explain my radar. and i don't mean the ones that will play celine dion as part of no. their thing no i mean people like who literally sat there and you would spend as much time finding the right song for a scene as you would actually writing in the sense that you, for instance, uh, space, I was going to say starship, <laughs> spaceship boy. IBK. There was a song you got from him, which you were just like, no other song would do. Well, here's the thing. I will, I will give credit to a weird influence. Kokoro Adon. Hmm. Um, I think it was, was that Bongo Sikui? I think it was who did Kokoro Adon. Um, we weren't allowed to watch it when I was younger. So we'd get um, shipped off to bed and the older ones would watch. And I just hear the song. And it's one of the most... What's the song? Because I'm thinking Coco, Coco, Coco's, which no, is a different Coco's. show. Yeah. Coco Adon was one of the most... Coco Adon. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> I was something like, like that. I was like, in the dark there. Is something that like goes? that is close, close to the melody. It's close. <laughs> um, but it's one of the most haunting songs. I'm sorry, songs. do you know how the song goes? I'm going to interrupt now. You know it, right? I'm going to ask cool. Hart. Hart is here, who is the producer for the show, and he knows that he's going to do us the honors. The tune goes something like this. Then um he goes with his uh, velvety voice. 
something like find that thing. And with the cockroach, I don't something like that. Yeah, something it was like that. it was haunting, man. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, and do I you have goosebumps listening right now? <laughs> no, for real. Like I couldn't watch that show, so I heard the song. Thank you very much, Heart. Oh, I think. <laughs> don't worry. I, I, but um, it was one of those things where actually it's actually on YouTube. Oh, wow. Um. It was really haunting and I, I loved it. It was beautiful music. And I saw the show eventually and um, it didn't match to the levels that I had built for myself in my head. Um, what's the name of this guy who did the music for? Oh, Brad Fidel, the Terminator 2 score. Uh, again, this was a film I heard six times start to finish because I wasn't allowed to watch it. I heard the film start to finish six times. Uh, John Williams score for Jurassic Park. When you say you heard, they'd say bedtime. You say, okay, you yeah. run to bed and then you'd crawl back and put your ear to the door. Yeah, just, I just be close to the door. Okay. And I hear the whole thing and you have to put your own visuals to it. And um, John Williams score for Jurassic Park still gets me weepy till this day. There's just certain music is a powerful thing. Um, and, but like I said, in Nigeria, I'd heard it before, like Cockroach Don did it. Um, things fall apart, had great music. Um, you know, so we, 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 things fall yeah. apart. I mean, no real, let's no? go as basic. Come as, on, heart, help me. <laughs> no real talk. Let's go as basic. That's not as, how it goes. How let's go as basic one? as. I saw that one like two days ago. Things fall apart where the center cannot hold. Some stuff like that. Things fall apart. No, 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 no. It was quite. It was quite. Yeah. Okay, I remember that part. But you got to say like, we all remember, and it hasn't been on the air for how many years? Because it was, it got under your skin. You know what I mean? I mean, but then I was just carrying forth. If I'm doing anything, I'm just doing what we've done before, just contemporary. It's like certain things I just wish feel like, when did we lose this? It's kind of the reason why I make TV. It's that feeling of walking down the streets and every house is tuned into the same thing. It's that thing where everybody comes to school and we're all talking about the same thing. It's weirdly enough the same reason I still watch pro, pro wrestling to this day. It's that whole, when the community of people choose to support something and, and look for themselves in it. It's interesting that you said, you use the word community because I found that with your work, um, I've met directors who... There's for them it's a paycheck, okay? Yes, I love creating whatever it is, music videos, movies, documentaries, whatever it is. They love it, they love it, that's great. By the end of the day, I'm getting paid and I call myself a director. Mm. I have found that with you, you don't want to direct. You don't want to be that guy who's the orchestra thing, you know, and now this whatever. What you're doing is building a community. Because for every piece of work that I've ever known you attached to, you have created Facebook pages where other people wouldn't have done. You have created a following. You have created events for people to show up and mm. talk about what a character or whatever it is meant to them and connect with people from far ends of the world, different industries who would probably never meet each other or yep. otherwise talk about these projects. And that's not something that people generally do here. And so you're going to say something? Yeah, because I mean, favorite word at the office communitize and don't tell me that's not a word we just made it up <laughs> but um the whole aim is to communitize um i don't there's lots of talk about how we can sell nollywood or our film business or our tv business to the world we haven't even sold it to ourselves so Let's directing for you then outside of not just directing but storytelling in general because yeah. directing is a form of telling a story right yeah. through your own eyes is not necessarily what 
some people define it as. For you, it's about you're like the town, not town crier, town. I don't think I don't. You're, you're you gather you gather gather everyone together essentially. Yeah, personally, I don't. I personally don't think I'm a. This is my personal opinion. I don't think I'm a fantastic director. I think I'm adequate. I think my job in directing is to make somebody get pissed off and say, I don't see what the hype is about this person. So what is a, if you don't think you're fantastic, what is a fantastic, what does a fantastic director look like? Here's the thing. My primary strength in television, especially is I'm a showrunner, right? That's my thing. My job is to gather the community. And for someone who doesn't know what a showrunner is, because that's a very American thing. Yeah. Essentially it's the creative or the producer who is in creative control of the entire show. So the, the showrunner hires the director. So you're the accountant of the show. Kind of. Well, the showrunner hires the directors, hmm. hires the writers. Yeah, has meetings with the directors and says, this is what we want out of this episode. This is what we want out of this scene. This is how I want it to feel. You know what lenses you're going to use to make that happen. You know what you're going to do. This is how it has to feel, though. This is why. So you are not the what, how, when. You are the why. And um, I think a lot of projects don't catch on because they have no why. And like you said before, um, if it's just a paycheck, that's never been a good enough reason to do anything. I'm sorry. Personally, I get into a lot of arguments with people when I say I don't work for money. I have well, no you have to get to the point where money. you're making enough money to say I don't work for money. Carry no, on. but I always said that when I was even Just so you know, when I say this guy stays banked, he stays working, I wasn't no, no, joking. No, but here's the thing. When I was living on that bridge, which I did for a little bit, I still said I wasn't going to work for money. I don't work for money. I really don't believe in working for money um, because I don't think that's how money works. Money is a measure of value. You got to put out value first. So if your only value is all the work you do is in chasing money, you still have put out no value. So you're going to stay chasing, put out value. Then the money comes to you. You attract money. You don't chase it. If you want to get money, get a few guns, rob a bank. That's where they keep money. If I was good, good, good. And we're back. Guns are blazing. <laughs> he flicks his hair we're back talking about gun. guns, what? <laughs> That's what you were saying. All right, so you were talking about music and how it's such an essential part of storytelling. Yep. And I still stand by the fact that I didn't hear that side of things when I was looking for people within the industry who told stories. Okay. Music was something that they slapped on because they needed something in the background while the person walked for four hours from one end to the other instead of them cutting. Music was something they slapped on because, well, everybody likes nice right now. So if I put a song by nice in this... People will watch this what scene. What were you watching? People, anyway? Nollywood. <laughs> what were you watching? Nollywood. What part of Nollywood were you okay. watching? Anyway. Okay. But for you, I have been in a room with you at times when you've heard a song and because of that song, you have thought, I am going to write a show. Yeah. That has happened a lot. A lot. Right. But that's just because, you know. There are times when you've written things, you've shot it and you would then hold a conference with your musician friends and be like, so all the songs that you have, both released and unreleased, I, I just want to sit unre- with I them. I prefer unreleased. Yes. Because the ones where they say, I don't think Nigerians will get it. It's too hip hop. It's too, it's too out there. Yeah, that's the one I want. Because mm-hmm. maybe that's the one they were the most honest in. Mm-hmm. I don't want the ones where you sat down and talked about how you to play and marketing and, and I don't want that one. I want the one you made because you had to. So, going back to this, there's a guy who I listened to him, an interview that he, he um, granted not too long ago called Boots Riley. I'd never heard of him before. I'm really, really ashamed to say. Yeah. And I asked you on your I way here, yeah. do you know him? You said yes. Yeah, yeah. And I said, excellent. Because there's a movie that he's made. Um, sorry to bother I'm you. I'm sorry to bother you. Or something. Sorry to yeah. bother you. Thank you. And during this interview, 
they brought up the idea that with his work, his first directorial debut, whatever you should call it, he has this clutter in it. And he called it, Boots, Boots that is, called it a beautiful clutter. He said that because a lot of the times, like, like back in the day, you would listen to a song by Name the Artist and you would hear everything from the part where the maybe the drummer starts to get a little bit more excited or mm-hmm. the guitarist just gets a little bit more emotional one part and then just, you know, goes... And it's not that it goes off key, it's just you hear the passion behind it. Mm-hmm. But because we do a lot of things in the studio now, everything is modulated. Mm-hmm. So... Yes, the music is good, but everything is just so clean now. Mm-hmm. And life is not clean by any stretch of the imagination. And so yep. for him to make this movie, he wanted as much clutter in it because he felt that is the beautiful clutter of life. Yep. I say that because as I was listening to this thing, you were the first person and only person actually that came to my mind because I have watched a bunch of different Nollywood TV shows and web series and things. And visually, some of them are just very beautiful for where we are and what we're doing. And people are doing some fantastic work, but then there's no substance or there's no story or the music is lacking or something, but it's just, there's a lot of attention paid to keeping something look aesthetically pleasing. And it takes away from the reality that you're trying to get people to buy into. And I love being able to walk into a room in a cinema. And if I'm watching whatever it is for an hour or two or three, sometimes I'm living in that world. And I believe it explicitly. In your work, I have found that you have a lot of clutter in your work. Is that something that you disagree with so that I can explain I a little bit? I wouldn't call it clutter, but I, I, I see what you're saying and I agree completely. Mm. One of my current um, crusades, which I will fail at miserably, is glam is not a genre. So when I hear people saying, oh, it's a glam show, it really gets under my skin. Because that's not a genre. That's not a type of show. What do you mean? Oh, it's a glam show where there are beautiful people and nice cars and nice houses. I'm like, what does that have to do with the story though? Um, I'm not saying that if your show is, is, has high production value, it's not a good show. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I would rather, I would rather you came to the show for the people and the story and the feeling that it left you with, as opposed to, oh, everything looks so shiny and glossy. Cause in real life, people get dressed up, right? To, go hang out with strangers. Um, the person in whose house you get into and you can kick your shoes across the room, that's where you're comfortable, right? I prefer the comfortable because I prefer my work. Ask slightly uncomfortable questions, but you're fine asking them because you're comfortable talking to this person. So what you do out there, I, I don't go out for events. I don't, I don't have really much of a you know, public life. So I don't know what transpires there. So I can't say whether it's right, wrong, good or bad, but I don't, think I'm going to have a deep, moving, meaningful conversation about the things that are important to me on a red carpet. So I can't tell those kind of stories. People who can, kudos to you. But I like the messiness of real life. So if you want to call it clutter, great. But I like the messiness. I don't mean clutter in a bad way. No, I, mean, I know what you In mean. terms no, no, no. of this interview, I was just like, I that's, know completely. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I, I do like that messiness. Mm-hmm. I, I do like that. I do like that messiness. I do like that, you know, open it in the fridge. is not exactly 100% clean. And that's a metaphor, but you know what I mean. Because if I went to somebody's house and this fridge was 100% clean, I'd be a little weirded out. I'd just be a little weirded out. Like, dude, don't you have a life? So all you do clean? You know, sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I completely understand that sentiment completely. Have you seen Sorry to Bother You? No, I haven't yet. It's, it's on my to-see list. Okay. So speaking of clutter, beautiful clutter and all, I'd like to understand the kind of person you are. So 
I know we've talked about you in terms of food and TV shows. Let's talk about you in terms of clothes now. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not asking you to describe. I mean, meanwhile, if there's ever like a, a person in the world who might have the entire collection of trainers with the um, Doctor Who signia, whatever it is on it, I bet you he does. He is a nerd's nerd in every capacity. But no, in terms of, are you the kind of person who, when you want to iron your, your, let's say a shirt, for instance, do you put, do you iron it inside out? Do you put something on top of it? If it's a graphic tee inside out. Let me finish now. If it's a graphic tee inside out. Well, let me Sorry, finish. that's a pet peeve of mine. People let's iron on, iron on. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Do you iron inside out? Do you put something on top of it to protect what you're ironing and then iron over that right way up? Do you not iron at all? Or do you just iron as is because life is for the living? What kind of person are you? I, I buy crease proof so I don't have to iron. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of person I am. <laughs> I buy crease proof so you don't have to iron. But if I have to iron, um, graphic tees inside out. In fact, almost everything inside out. Do you know what that says about you? What? No, I'm asking before I get into it. No, because... At the same time, um, I am a sneakerhead. Like, I, I am a sneakerhead. Like, I know I am a sneakerhead. I feel ashamed of myself, but I am a sneakerhead. You take toothbrushes to your sneakers? At night no, I spend it. money buying shoe cleaning kits. Yeah, it's that far. It's beyond toothbrushes. So, yeah. Um, so, I would, I would go crazy. I could dedicate, like, a whole evening to, you know, washing midsoles only. Mm-hmm. We'll do uppers tomorrow. <laughs> um, that sort of thing. But, um yeah, there's a certain level of regimented control, I guess. Yeah. And I think that that spills into your work for sure. The, there are parts of your work where I can absolutely see that, you know what? He would never like the the uh, branded shirt that you said, that you would not iron over it. Like you do it inside You're out. just destroying it. Why, why, would, why did you buy it if you wanted to destroy it? So for the core things that you believe in, in your projects that you do, you do protect that part. And then the other parts where you feel, no, these parts that we think has to be fine and polished or whatever, it needs to look and feel lived in. So the whoever's watching it feels like I can really smell this person's life. I am living. And and you keep that in. Let me tell you a story. So I was doing a project for someone and um, we were shooting a scene and the producer was on set. And this has happened at least four different times. So if you think I'm talking about you, I'm probably not. But four different but times, four, four different times. You. And somebody was talking and somebody said, um, um, the other time, right? Mm-hmm. Nigerian accent. The other time, that's how, and then the producer went, no, 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 no. That's not how you say it. It's the other time. I cut the whole scene out. Cause I'll tell you why. Not because I wanted to prove I was right or wrong, but every single time I showed that scene to someone, they didn't get the point of the scene because they had forced the actor to speak so robotically. I see. So, like, nobody says, I'm going to say nobody, I mean, like, he was supposed to be talking to his best friend. Uh, and then they came from the place, and then the other time, and he was now so self-conscious, that he kept saying things like, the other time, I called my father, and everybody kept saying, why is he my talking father. like that? And this was supposed to be like a big emotional moment where he was talking about, you know, his disconnect with his parents. But everybody was caught up in, I want to say everybody, I showed it to nine people and they, keep going, they kept going and I don't even filmmakers, I'm talking about interns, uh, an editor, a security guard and they, they kept going, uh, why does brother talk like this? They couldn't connect with him because he was speaking in a way that was so, it was proper, it was grammatically correct but it wasn't real. Mm. Like it just, it, it just, it was not real. 
and uh, someone can make a grammatic error, someone can stumble on a line. That's how we talk. Nobody speaks in perfectly modulated sentences. Nobody puts their full stops where it should be. Nobody, come on, we talk messy. But um, so if it's too we polished, think messy, yeah, so that, yeah, yeah. If it's too polished, I just it bothers me. But some people say it's you know you have to keep up to certain standards. So hey, I just make work and hope you like it. It's you know, it's best I can do. Can I ask now, like, what kind of things do you borrow from? Because they say everybody borrows from somebody. Yeah. So what kind of things do you borrow from and incorporate in it, on in, in some way into your work? What themes do you find yourself? coming back to over and over again, not in terms of what you've already discussed mm. now, but in terms of your relationships with other people, I in terms of your yeah. work, the kind of jobs you say yes or no to. I don't borrow consciously mm. and that's on purpose. Um, I tend to soak myself in stuff. So I have phases where I'm obsessive about stuff. I'm a music theater geek. Um, so I can go on like, you know, Lin-Man Miranda binges or next to normal is the only thing I'm listening to for a month straight. Um, the next thing I'm listening to ODMX <laughs> thing. So it's, um, I kind of just take in, take in, take in, take in, take in. And when I'm doing that, I know it means a project is bubbling at the mm-hmm. back of my head. And then I stop listening to everything except film scores and write something new. But, um, so I don't borrow consciously. Eventually, sometimes I look back years later and be like, Ooh, that's what that was. But I'm a big macro guy. I'm a big picture guy. I'm kind of obsessive about the macro. So for me, the why is the most important question of anything. Um, so if I'm, I'm going to decide why I'm going to, whether I'm going to do a project or not, why? So I find myself being attracted to a lot of firsts, not because I want to be the first at doing anything. I have no interest in that, but because I don't like repeating myself. Um, not because I think it's wrong. I just don't like it because when I've done it once, I've learned some important lessons. I need to go somewhere else and apply those lessons. So, um, I find myself being attracted most. If you want to catch me, just tell me it's going to be the first time anybody's ever tried this. And if it's something that's up my alley, you got me. Maybe even at half price. <laughs> I think. But um, yeah, I keep finding myself drawn back to why don't we, everybody's doing it like this. Let's go this way. That's I have 10 fun. more things that I would so love for us to discuss, but mm-hmm. we have actually run out of quick time. Quick fire round. So what I want to try and do is do a quick fire round with one, two, three. Yes. Neutral's coming. For five questions. And Concise I'll leave the rest. answers. Let's but go. before we get to that, let me ask you this one long-winded one. What kind of mundane rituals of life would you want to get rid of because they get in the way of, well, life? None. For me, for instance, underwear. I want to get rid of it. I love underwear. I want to get rid of it. Because I love underwear. Who needs underwear? But also, I don't want to get rid of it because I'm a woman. Mm. I need underwear. You noticed. Nice. There are times um, of the month where you absolutely need wow. underwear. Okay. And there are some times of the month where underwear is uh, negotiable. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Um, none. I'm kind of in love with the Monday. Okay. I do my best work when I'm taking a shower, washing the dishes, ironing. Um, it's those repetitive tasks. I don't have to use my brain. It's kind of where I like. Mm. Maybe because I really like chaos. So it's, I find joy in the little order of things, the little, I put my soap here every day, the little, cause I'm going to go to work and everything's going to go wrong. And this, this day player is not going to show up and this script is going to not work and the location is going to be terrible. And I'm just going to have to make stuff up as I go along all day. So the fact that there are certain touchstones that are little things like helping the kids with homework, little things that are like little rituals you build in. My wife is laughing somewhere cause she taught me all this. 
Um, but you know, find these little touchstones that you can keep the same. Yeah, I, I like I like Monday. So, I really, really, really want to ask you so much about therapy, about some of the projects you've done. Therapy, I'd like to go awesome in more stuff. detail with therapy, that. Awesome stuff. Do it if you can. About oh, man, there's no time. Okay, let, let me stop complaining about the the no time. Exactly. I'll quick do the quick fire, and then hopefully one day you might come back and we'll do all the questions that I couldn't get into. Not a problem. There's a lot of things I wanted to ask you. Okay. Could you please recommend a book? Uh, hmm. Recommend a book. This is interesting. I would say zero to one, Peter Thiel. But if you don't want to read like, you know, big thinking business type things and you want to read for leisure, um, Salas Mana. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a classic. Masterclass. The one that they're doing right now, where everyone from Shonda Rhimes to yeah, yeah. whomever's, yeah. Would you recommend that for somebody who's trying to get into directing or writing or acting? They have different courses. And it's called course. a master class. Yes. It's not a beginner's class. I would say go get your hands dirty a little bit, then get a master class. But master class is awesome. I have, I, I, I think I bought out every single class they've got. But it's a master class. Be, be, be warned. Can you tell me about a teachable moment that you've lived through? It could be a moment where you were going to go into a, through a particular door, open a particular to a particular room, and every interview is like, "Don't do it, don't do it." It's going to end in tears, and you did it anyway. You got it. And you're like, "Oh wow, teachable, I shouldn't have done it." Teachable though. moment. Very recently, I took on a project that I did not believe in. Um, not because it was a bad project; it's a great project. It just wasn't for me. The best thing I should do was walk away and let somebody else do it. Um, I think I let my ego get in the way for half a second. It, it felt good to be wanted. I wasn't needed. The show is better because I'm not there. And that was one of the moments where I was like, okay. Well, so you walked away from the show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was one of the moments where I was like, it's not about you. It's always about the show. Do what's best for the show. In four words. Can you tell in me? In four words. Yes. In okay. four words. Can you tell me the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to Four you? Words. The rules. Okay. You are not allowed to actually tell me the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you ever. Uh, Just give me the four words. Scenario. You don't need to explain it. Cool, cool. You don't even have to give me the four words in the order for me to figure it out if you don't want to. I'll have to go in order. And I'll give you an, ex- an example using mine. Mine is uniform, video, oopsie, long. What's yours? That is so vague. Mine is very straightforward, really. Towel, crush, door, naked. You might as well tell me the freaking story. Like you, thanks. Thank you. You think you know. Was she impressed? You think you know. Because <laughs> if, if I had thrown a new word, I would have thrown in mother. You think you know where that story is going. You don't know. <laughs> you think you know. Now I have so many <laughs> questions. questions. You think you know. Did she walk in on you and the mom? Let's add another word. My mother. So the first oh. mother was her mother, but let's keep it moving. Okay. So <laughs> please tell us where we can find you on the interwebs. I am on Instagram. If I can find my Instagram handle, which I have to now check because I suck at social media. But um, um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I think it's at, at Victor Gawa, social media. That's that's on Instagram. And then you have the bakery and Agege as well. Which yeah, Tata for HQ. There's Tata for HQ on Twitter. There's Tata for HQ on, that's the name of my company, Tata for HQ. On Twitter, Instagram, I think on Facebook as well. Uh, for me personally, Victor Gawa at Instagram. That's, that's where you'll find me the most. 
And for somebody who's trying to get into masterclass, wants to get their hands dirty, I would absolutely recommend that you reach out to Tatafo because they do workshops um, live. They also provide, so if you want to sort of intern and experience what a real life writer's room is like, it's definitely one of the places that I would recommend you go to and you learn from the ground up. There's so many people who's, who have trained with him who are now showrunners on shows that air on Africa Magic all across Africa. So yeah, check it out, Tata for HQ. Thank Yay. you so very much for coming in. And Thank you for having me. And uh, hum- humoring me. We didn't even get to RSP. Ooh. Remember RSP? Hashtag I RSP. Self-promotion, uh, yes. which I, I still think I suck at. But, yeah. Another day, another time. Uh, All right, we're going to leave now. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Hey. My mother told me that she will buy me a rubber dolly. If I was good, good, good.